2 Samuel 21, title of the message today is Just a Closer Walk with Thee. Now what we all need is what we all desire, just a closer walk with the Lord, and we're going to look at that unfold in David's life and the life of uh, the nation of Israel today. Um, You know, by way of introduction here, ladies, you can help me out with this. You know, there's a saying, when mama's not happy... And mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That is a simple fact of life. No truer words were ever spoken, right? And guys, they have a way of letting us know that they ain't happy, don't they? Right? What are some of the subtle clues that, that they let us know that, that they're not happy? Silent treatment, right? So I hate the silent treatment. Or, or how about this? How about those, like, the, those short answers? How, how you doing, baby? Fine. Hey, look, take it from a guy who's been married almost 31 years. When your wife says fine, she ain't fine, okay? Okay, so those little short one-word answers, those are kind of a tip-off. Or or they cop an attitude with you. You know, that's a treat, isn't it? And you're just like, oh, geez, here we go. What's going on with you, you know? They bang pots around in the kitchen, maybe. Maybe, you know, throw a pot at you. That's so subtle sign. Um, How about this? How about you're on the phone and you say something you should, and all of a sudden you're like, Hello? Hello? Hello, are you there? Little sign, maybe, that you're like, did, did we get cut off? No, we didn't get cut off. You're an idiot. That's what happened, right? So, so, you know, all any man really wants is what? Truly, he just wants peace. He just wants his wife to be cool. That's all, really, any, it's like, I just want my wife to be happy, you know? And when we see signs that she ain't happy, well, the smart man finds out why, okay? Now, you know, some of y'all, you ain't been married that long, so it's like, how you doing? Fine. You're like, okay, cool, you know? <laughs> Wrong answer, all right? So, so, so the smart man, when his wife ain't happy, when he sees the signs that she's not happy, he wants to go, well, why isn't she happy? I got to figure this out. And, and this is the, the introduction here to chapter 21, because this is what we're going to find out today. We're going to see that David discerns that, discerns that God's not happy, and so he's going to find out why. He, 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 this ain't his first rodeo. He's like, what's going on here? I want to figure out what is going on today. So that's where we pick it up, chapter 21, verse 1. It says, now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. All right, so there's a famine in the land. And now, what you may not realize is that last week was our last chronicle chapter our, our, our last chapter chronologically speaking in the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. We've been we've been going through this and unlike the 51 chapters that have led up to chapter 21, you know the the 31 chapters of 1st Samuel and now uh, the 20 chapters that have preceded where we're at now in chapter 21 of 2nd Samuel Well, in these last four chapters, the author is wrapping things up, and unlike those chapters that have preceded it, the last four are not in chronological order. And and so what we have as we go through these last four chapters, well, it's not necessarily just a continuation, it's some of them are looking back in time. And such is the case here, Um, we're looking to a period of time earlier in King David's reign, and it's probably 
This, this event that we're reading today probably occurred somewhere around 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'll give you the, the reasons for, for that summation or, or, or you know, guesstimation in just a minute. But we have here in chapter 21, the chapter beginning, that there was a famine in the days of David for three years. And listen, there's lessons here for us. There's lessons for us to, to, to extrapolate from this because sometimes in life, we go through famine. Sometimes in life, we go through dry spells. Sometimes in life, we're in a season or in a situation where God seems distant or where it feels like he's, he's angry with us. There, there, there are those, those occasions where you know, we, we experience that. Maybe that's you. Maybe today you're in a dry season. And, and so what do we do during the dry seasons? That's the question at hand here. What do we do when we're in that place? How do we achieve that closer walk with the Lord when, when he seems distant or when things seem dry or when they, 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 they seem, you know, distracted or so on. And so that leads us to our first point here. When times are dry, we need to ask why, All right? When, when, they're, when, they're, when they're dry, we need to ask why. It's always wise when God seems to be withholding his blessing to ask why. And so David, it says, inquired of the Lord. So, so there he is, he's in a season of, fa- uh, of famine, uh, it's been three years, year after year, and so David, he inquires of the Lord. He says, hey, hey God, what, what's going on here? Why the famine? Why haven't you blessed us? It's been three years. Where, where, where's your blessing, God? It's, uh, we don't see it happening here. You know, it, it, it's not here. Now, when we talk about God's blessing, um, we, we need to be careful because there's some crazy theology out there. You know, in, as it relates to God blessing you. You know, there, there are those that, that are, you know, they're the full court press preaching about, you know, prosperity gospel. And God wants to bless you. And if you're, if you're poor, it's because you don't have enough faith. And, and it, you know, if, if, if you don't have, you know, money to burn, then, you know, you're somewhere, you're outside of God's will. I heard one teacher very well-known prosperity, you know, doctrine guy. If I said his name, you'd know it. And, and he was teaching that, that God wants you to be rich and that if you're not rich, you're in sin. And he was saying how Jesus was rich. He, he said, you know, the man, he, you know, people talk about Jesus. You know, he, he said, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But, but he maintains that that's not an indication that, that Jesus was, was, you know, without possessions and, and, and of a very humble means and so on. He says, no, the guy was rich. He said, you know, for, and he gives some examples. He says, when, when he was going to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he told his disciples, go find a, 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 a colt that's never been ridden. He wanted a brand new donkey that had never been ridden. He says, you ought to desire a brand new car that's never been driven. He, he says, you know, the, the, this guy, he said, they, they cast lots for his clothes. He said, who does that for rags? If the guy wasn't wearing, you know, Armani clothes and just decked out, no, Jesus obviously had all the best clothes and so on, and this is what's, what's going on. This is the, 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 the shtick that this guy is spinning here, and, and it's completely not true. So there's a lot of false doctrine about, you know, God wants to bless you, and, and it's all about the blessing, and it's all about the, you know, basically reduces God to a genie in the bottle. 
And, and hey, you're, you're just there to grant my wishes and to give me everything that I, that I ever wanted and, and, and so on. And so that's not the case here. This, this, you know, David's going through, along with the nation of Israel, they're going through a time of famine. And David goes to the Lord and he asks the Lord, hey, why haven't you blessed us? But, but you know, it, it, it has nothing to do with David's heart here being that, hey, I want to treat God like a piñata. You know, that's, that's not the idea here. What's going on is that David is, you know, at the same time not treating God like a piñata, he, he, but he didn't shut his eyes to the fact that the hand of the Lord is in his circumstances. The hand of the Lord is in our circumstances. And listen, you know, the best theology that we can have as, as followers of Jesus Christ is a theology that, that just desires to live in a close, intimate, personal relationship with God. That, that we just daily walk in with the Lord, hand in hand, and, and Lord, I just want to be with you. Lord, I just want to be near you. Lord, I just want to have fellowship with you. Because what, what, what springs from that, when we have that type of a relationship with God, that we become so familiar with his presence, and we become so familiar with his provision, that listen, we are acutely aware of its absence when it's not there. And, and, and so then when we do sense that the Lord is absent in some way, shape, or form, well, that, then we, we run to God. And that's what we see David doing here. It says that David inquired of the Lord. And, and, and if you're given to taking notes, you could circle that, that word uh, inquired there. Uh, and, and nearby, maybe you could write uh, to intensely seek God's face because that's what it means in the Hebrew here. It means that David was intensely seeking the face of God. Now, what I want you to understand here, I want you to get the picture. Because a lot of times when we go through some sort of a, of a, of a hardship, just talking to a brother this morning, going through a hardship, going through a trial. And, and, and when we go through a hardship, the temptation of our flesh is to go to God and to say, fix it, God. God, you know, I got, I got this situation, I got that situation. God, just fix it. And, and if we're not careful, our flesh can get to a place where I start rubbing the genie in the bottle lamp of prayer, and I'm really not interested in seeking God to the, to the state to, to where I say, okay, things ain't right. Why aren't they right? No, instead, I just go, hey, things aren't right. Fix it, God. Fix it, God. Fix it, God. And <clears throat> so we have to be super careful here that when times are dry, we need to ask why. He inquired of the Lord. He sought the Lord's face. He didn't go to the Lord and say, hey, times are dry, and so, you know, you own the cattle on a, of a thousand hills, so you, we need to butcher a few of them. We need to barbecue down here, you know, kind of attitude. No, he goes to God and he says, hey, what, God, show me what's going on here. And, and, and just a point of application for us, a takeaway for us, that we need to be careful that when we're going through a dry season, that our attitude is more to inquire of the Lord why. Because God might be allowing you to go through a time of leanness. He might be allowing you to go through a time of trial. Because he wants to show you an area of sin in your life that he wants you to deal with. 
And so, so there is that balance there. It's, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a matter of saying, oh gosh, you know, God's not blessing me, so uh, you know, automatically I'm in sin. That might not be the case, but it might be the case. And so we have to inquire of the Lord. We have to say, hey, you know, what is it, God, that, that, that's going on here? Why, why are you doing this? And so what we see David do is he intensely seeks the face of God. He inquires of the Lord. And he's not seeking what he wanted to hear. He's seeking what he needed to hear. Okay? Big, big deal there. Not what I want to hear. God, what do I need to hear right now? What are you trying to show me? Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me. This is the Lord speaking. And those who seek me diligently will find me. And so God wants us in, in, with a loving heart to seek him diligently. And to say, God, I want what you want. And right now I'm not getting what I think I need. And so there's something about it here. God, you, try, you got my attention. I'm inquiring of you. Now again, not every dry spill necessarily indicates that something's wrong or that you're being disciplined. I mean, sometimes we just go through dry spells. I think of, you know, Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, or David in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, or the nation of Israel in the wilderness when they're exiting, you know, uh, from, from, uh, from Egypt. And so sometimes God just prescribes that we go through, you know, some, some trial, some hardship, not necessarily because we're in sin, not necessarily because we need to be corrected, just because this is what God wants us to go through to grow. James said in, in James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I love this quote, Faith that can't be shaken is a faith that has been shaken. Faith that can't be shaken is a faith that has been shaken. Sometimes God takes you through trials, and he's just growing you. He's growing you in your faith. It's not necessarily because you've done something wrong. But you don't know unless you ask, right? And that's what David does here. He's going through a season of famine, and so he's going to the Lord. He's like, hey, what? You got my attention, God, and my heart is to do what you want me to do. So, 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 so he inquired uh, of the Lord, uh, and uh, the verse continues, and the Lord answered. Now, here's God's answer. He says, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites, and so the king called the Gibeonites and he spoke to them. And now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Now this massacre that, G that the Lord refers to here as he's telling David, hey, you know what, yeah, you're right, you are going through a famine and it is a time of correction and tune-up because you know what, this is what Saul did. And, and this massacre, it's not, <coughs> excuse me, it's not recorded in 1 Samuel, but it clearly happened during Saul's reign and it's a big problem. It's a big problem for David and it's a big problem for the nation of Israel. Here's why. In the days of Joshua, back in Joshua chapter 9, what you have there is you've got Israel, Israel, they've entered the promised land. They're taking possession of the land. And they are mowing through the people that are in their way. They, they're just kicking butt and taking names and they're decimating the people that are standing between them and the promised land. <coughs> and so as they're doing this, what happens is they go through Jericho 
And you all know the story there. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, right? And so they move on to Ai. They, they destroy them and, and all. And, and so the Gibeonites, they saw, oh, holy moly, we're next. So the Gibeonites, what they did is they pulled a fast one on Joshua and the nation of Israel. What they did was they put on all these raggy clothes and dirty, sort of torn clothes, and then they, they, uh, they took the provisions that they were carrying, and they put like moldy bread in their sacks and so on, and they had you know, this contingent go and meet Joshua, and they, and they told them, hey, look, we ain't from around here. You know, we're, we're just, we're, we're traveling from a far off country. We got no problem with you guys. Don't do anything to us. And so without consulting the Lord, Joshua and all the guys, they just bought it, and, and not realizing, no, these guys really do live there. This is, these really are the enemies that you were called to, you know, to go to battle with and to displace and to take. <clears throat> so, so, so they don't pray. They don't seek God. They just buy the lie. And they're like, okay, we'll enter into a covenant agree, agreement with you guys. And, and so what happens is this covenant is, you know, we're not going to hurt you kind of, kind of thing. And so then what happens is, is that they become aware that they've been had. They, 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 they come to the realization, Joshua and the rest of the guys, they're like, oh, wow, uh, these, these are the Gibeonites and they've lied to us. They actually are here. But now they're in trouble because they've made a covenant. And even though the covenant was based on, on a false, pre, you know, false pretenses, they, the Israelites, are still obligated to keep the covenant because they gave their word. They made a promise. And see, God takes covenant deadly serious. And, and this brings us to, to the second point here, which is when we make promises, God expects us to honor them. If you want a closer walk with God, listen, not only when things are, 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 are you know, dry, you need to ask why, but you also, listen, if you give your word, he wants you to keep your word. It's a big deal to him. Here's why it's a big deal to him. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You need to be people that, whose, whose word you, you follow through. You actually do what you say. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2 says, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of uh, his mouth. And, and so, so, listen, this is, you know, a promise. It's an oath, and it's a reflection of God. And, and it, because God, he honors his covenant with us. God has made a covenant with us. Pastor David Guzik, he says this. I'll put this, I love this quote. I'll put it on the screen. He says, if God has such a high expectation that men keep their covenants, we can have a great confidence that he will keep his covenant with us. There is an emerald rainbow around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4 to proclaim his remembrance to his everlasting covenant with his people. See, God takes covenant seriously because he keeps a covenant with us. And so what happens if we, his kids, if we turn around and we break our covenant... If we break our promises, well, what we're doing is we are misrepresenting God. We are, in actuality, bearing a false witness. And we're giving people the wrong picture of God. And it's so sad, but I see this frequently. I've had guys tell me, look, I'm never going to hire a Christian person again. 
I'm not going to hire a Christian employee. I'm not going to hire a Christian businessman because, it, because they don't keep their word. I mean, I, I mean it's, it's horrible. I actually used to have a, a guy that owned a big company. He'd call me all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, as, when I was the executive pastor at Revival, he'd call me all the time. Hey, you got anybody I'm looking for some employees? And then finally one day he said, I, I called him up. I'm like, man, I haven't heard from you. I got some guys looking for work. He goes, no, no, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not uh, impressed with, with the people that call themselves Christians. I mean, it's horrible. It's, it's a horrible statement. And so God expects us to, to keep our word. He wants us to honor our promises. And so what happened here is that Joshua and the nation of Israel, you know, they were totally had. They didn't pray to God. They made this, this, this entered into this covenant that they shouldn't have entered into. But they honored it. And it's a great picture for us of God's grace. How, how he, God, honors covenant. See, Joshua, what he did then, when, when he responded to, to this, when he found out that he'd been had, when he found out what the Gibeonites had, had done, well, he made those Gibeonites responsible to bring the wood and the water to the tabernacle. And, and this is the, the job that he, that, he, that he gave to them. In other words... <clears throat> they were integrated into a, as, as a regular part of Israel's worship. These, 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 this, these people that he entered into a covenant hastily, they became a regular part of their worship. And see, the, like Israel, we too, sometimes we make decisions that we haven't prayed about. We make hasty decisions that, uh, that prove to be against the Lord and against the things that the Lord has commanded us to do. And when we get into those situations that we never wanted to be in, man, we're filled with regret. We're filled with remorse. And there's that part of us that, man, I just, how do I get past that failure? I mean, how do I redeem that failure? And, 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 and so what is it that I'm going to do to, to, to move past? Here's what you do. You do what the nation of Israel did. You put that failure to work for you. And, and so what he did is he took the Gibeonites. He let his past failure be the wood that put the fire in their heart, in the tabernacle worship, just the, the wood that, that, fi, that, that fueled the fire. The, it, it, they, they made that past thing, that mistake, be the thing that, that brings living water. To us. See, that's the idea. That's what we're supposed to do because we have a covenant with God. We're under His grace. We deserve death, but He gives us life. Paul told the Christians in Rome that it's the goodness of God that leads to the repentance of you and me. And, and so what happens is we remember God's grace towards us. We remember His steadfastness to keep His covenant. And what it does is it motivates us towards repentance and also to be gracious towards others. And so God expected Israel to honor this covenant that Joshua had entered into 400 years before Saul came along. God expected that, and they did so for that time. Until Saul comes along and he breaks it, and he goes out and he kills the Gibeonites. And again, the Hebrew in verse 2 is very instructive here when it says that Saul killed the Gibeonites in his zeal. The idea there is that Saul was jealous for the adoration and the praise of his people. And so he was just very narcissistically wanting everybody to praise him. And so what happened is he was zealous for that, and that's why he broke this covenant. That's why he started killing all these people 
that God told him, no, no, you, you made a promise, now you got to keep it. And Saul's like, no, 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 I'm not going to keep that promise because I've got adoration and praise coming my way. Saul was of the, the tribe of Benjamin. The Gibeonites were of the same area as Benjamin. And so there was some incentive to say, let's kill these guys. Let's, let's forget them. This is all our stuff. And so this is what Saul is doing. And so now God responds to it. And he says to David, look, David, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to bless you. I'm not going to bless the nation of Israel because of what Saul did. Now, brings up some questions. I've got questions. Maybe you've got questions about that because you're like, okay, well, why is he dealing with it with David? Why, why, didn't, why didn't he deal with it with Saul? Why, why is it just now coming up? Why, why now is, is God saying, oh, all right, David, you know, Saul did all this. And, you know, David might go, I didn't do it. Saul did it. So why is this just now all coming to the surface? Well, partly because the whole nation is responsible. Saul, Saul was at the throne or at the helm when, when you know, they hit the iceberg kind of deal. Just because there's been a change in, in leadership doesn't mean that that, that, that goes away. And when, when we, you know, had, you know, at Semecula Community Church merge in with us and we became, you know, they became Reliance Church, it's not like all their debts just disappeared. We, we, we assumed the responsibility for all their debts, you know? Because that, because, so that just doesn't magically go away. Another reason why God goes to David, I think, is because David is characterized by listening to God. And Saul's not. So, so God comes to, to David, and, uh, and, and he t- and, or rather David comes to, to, uh, to, to God, and, and he's like, hey, we're not being blessed here, and, and what's going on? And, uh, and so God begins to tell him, here's what's going on. Here's why I'm not blessing you. And the principle is this, you know, hey, it's never too late to right a wrong. And so David said to the Gibeonites, verse 3, or uh, yeah, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? God says, hey, man, I'm not going to bless you because it's what Saul did to the Gibeonites. you, you got to go right or wrong. So David is, is hot on it. He's like, all right, guys, Saul messed you over. What do I got to do to make it right? And the Gibeonites said to him, verse 4, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man that is in Israel for us. The way that's structured in the Hebrew basically means, look, it's like none of that stuff exists. That, we don't, we don't, that stuff's not even on our radar. We're not looking for money. We're not looking for, you know, you to, 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 to kill, uh, you know, men of Israel for us or whatever. And he's like, okay, well, whatever you say, I'll do it for you. And they answered the king. They said, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from the remaining uh, in, the, in any of the territories of Israel... Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, 
between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Now, this is why I think that this chronologically was written right about the time of 2 Samuel chapter 9. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 9, you'll recall that David said at that point, he's like, hey, is anybody left of the house of Saul that's, that's a descendant of Jonathan that I could bless? And see, what I think happened was here, he's in a situation where God has not, he's not blessing the nation of Israel. David goes seeking God and he's like, what's up? And God goes, look, it's because you guys broke a covenant. The nation of Israel broke a covenant. And I think at that point, David went, I made a covenant. I made a covenant with, with, with Jonathan that I, that I would you know, not go after his descendants. And so I think while David simultaneously is seeking to fulfill a former covenant and to, to, to make right what Saul has done wrong, I think simultaneously he's like, I have to keep my covenant. So while I'm looking for these descendants of, of, uh, of, of Saul that are going to be put to death for violating that covenant, I, I need to find if there's any descendants of, uh, of Jonathan that I can spare because, because I'm, this is what I, I pledged to do. And so he spares Mephibosheth, verse 8. And so the king took Armoni with his sweet suits. And uh, <clears throat> Mephibosheth, now this is a different Mephibosheth. And we got like 12 Steves that go to the church here. So apparently there's a few Mephibosheths that are running around. And so the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai. Again, different Barzillai from the guy, that, the old man that helped David and, and, and all with provisions that we read about a, a chapter two back. So different guy than that, um, the Mahathalite. And so these are the seven guys that he gets, verse, verse nine. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. And so they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Now, before you go feeling sorry for these seven descendants of Saul, there's, there's some indication here that, they're, that they got blood on their hands. There's some indications here that they're guilty, that they probably were in on this with Saul, probably part of the perpetuating of, of the, the way that Saul was harsh with them. Here's, here's several of the things, that the, the clues to that. First of all, in verse 9, it says, they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. And so the implication there is that God approved of this. And not only that, they hanged them. Now in Deuteronomy 21, 23, we're told that cursed is everyone who dies on, on a tree, who, or who, who, who hangs on a tree. And so, so the implication here is that these guys were cursed, that they, that there's, that they got blood on their hands, so that this is kind of a, 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 a righteous judgment of their sinful actions. They're reaping what they've sown. And, and which is why back in verse 6, David said, you know, I'll give them because these guys are guilty. So it's not, these, it's not these innocent guys. Verse 10, now Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and she spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them uh, from heaven 
And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day or the beasts of the field uh, by night. And so here's this gal, this mom uh, of, of two of these guys, and, and she's, she just gets to the place where she's mourning. And, and so she decides, I'm going to watch over their remains so that, you know, they're not taken by the wild animals kind of thing. Now, that tells us more of, hey, look, you know, it was, it, it was the practice that when someone died, that they would be buried right away. That was the, that was the honorable way to, to handle things. Well, uh, when somebody has been judged, there's a symbolic, the symbol of judgment when their bones were just left there in the field. And that's what happened here. So again, it's more symbol of judgment of what's going on. But this, but this mom sets up and she mourns. And, um, and, and we get a little clue there. It says, until the late rains poured on them from heaven. Which tells us, hey, blessings are coming back. Now, now the heavens are open up. Now the late rains are pouring out. Now there's not going to be a famine anymore because, you know, this is a uh, gregarian society where they're, they're you know, agricultural, agriculturally based. And so now God's blessing is there and, the, and so on. And it says, verse 11, And David was told what Rizbah, the daughter of Aya, the concubine of Saul, had done. And then David went and he took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead who had stolen them from the streets of Beth Shan where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. They had their remains. They kept them as a trophy kind of thing. And so he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged, these seven sons of Saul. And verse 14 says, they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the the country of Benjamin, in Zela, in the tomb of Kish, his father. And so they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. And, and when it says that God heeded the prayer for the land, the idea is that God was moved by the prayers of his people. David was moved by this, this widow, or this, this mom, Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, the concubine of Saul, what she had done, he was moved by it. God also moved by the prayers of his people. And so, so the implication there is, and, and you, know, you can see probably the idea is not only was David like, God, I'm seeking your face and what, what, what do I need to do? And, and God speaks to him and shows him and, he, and he's got this heart of saying, you know, I just, I just want to be right with you, God. I want to be rightly related with you. And You've shown me, and, and so I'm coming to you not saying, hey, just bless us. You're not blessing us, so start blessing us again. But I'm coming to you saying, what do I got to do to make this right? God says, here's what you got to do. And so, so Saul along, or David along in this, he, his prayer in his heart is to say, God, let, let, this, let's, let this be acceptable in your sight. And this mom, the implication there is that she, heartbroken, sons murdered, but she, or not murdered, but judged and executed. And now she's in a place where she says, essentially, God, you're, you're good, you're right, you're righteous. I mourn over their death, but Lord, I worship you. And the implication there is that God is moved by these prayers. And so now it says that God, he did the prayer for the land. And blessings come back. Third point, if you're taking notes, 
in seeking a closer walk with God. Not only when times are dry, we need to ask why, and not only when we make promises that God expects us to keep them, but listen, you want a close walk with God, look, it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. See, David says to the Gibeonites there in verse 3, he says, hey, what shall I do for you? And the way that that's structured in the Hebrew, basically what he's saying is, how can I make amends? And it's structured in an emphatic way. He's very emphatically seeking them to say, look, what do I got to do to make things right with you? And the motivation for this emphatic you know, petition of them to say, what is it? Do you just tell me? Whatever I can do. Look, what's his motivation? He says... Well, in the text, it tells us that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord. And what you got to understand there, it's not about the stuff, it's about the state. Okay? It's not about the stuff. David's not going, hey, look, I, you know, the, the genie stopped giving us stuff, so let's get things right so, he, so I can start getting blessed again. No, he's like, look, we're not right. There's something, there, there's, there's something that's interfered here with, with our relationship with God. And so please tell me what I can do in my relationship with you so that my relationship with God is restored. And, and I don't know, I wonder maybe if that doesn't just hit home for some of us today just to go, man, am I, am I more emphatic about the stuff than I am about the state? God might say to you today, look, just... It's, it's, it, it's about the state, man. It's about the, what state are, are we in? And, and what do I got to do to live at peace with all mankind so that, so that, God, you and I are in a good state? More than anything else, David just wants, man, a closer walk with thee, Lord. I, ju- I just want a closer walk with thee. Three questions here as we, we get close to closing. First of all, is there anything today hindering your walk with God? I'd have you write these down, take a walk with them prayerfully. Do you have anything that's hindering your walk with God? Do you have a covenant that you need to keep? Promise you've made that you need to keep? Do you, do you have something that you need to make amends for? Uh, is there a promise you've broken? A friendship maybe that you've betrayed? Some way that you've misrepresented God by how you haven't kept your word. Second question to write down today is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to make it right? David tells the Gibeonites, man, whatever you say, I'll do it for you. So, so are you willing to do whatever it takes? Third question, <clears throat> Are you committed to the follow-through? Because you can have a resolve in your heart today and then you walk out of these doors and then before you know it, you're back into your life. And it's sort of like I heard about it, we talked about it, and then kind of I'm I'm on to the next thing. You know, recently I I heard scientifically they've shown that when people want to lose weight and they come up with a plan, and then they start talking about it, and they start telling everybody about their plan to lose weight, that the, just the talking about it releases the same kind of whatever it is in the brain. The same thing that you get when you've accomplished a goal 
Your, your brain releases this, this chemical or whatever it is, and, and, it, and it gives you this sense of like, oh, I've complete the good feeling you feel like when you've accomplished something. Well, you get that same feeling just when you talk about it. And so they said that's, that's actually a reason why a lot of diets fail is because people talk about them too much. I'm on this diet, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And they get the, all the feeling of accomplishment, but they haven't accomplished anything. And so, so, so are you committed to the follow-through? Because, man, it, it, keep in mind, here's what I want you to understand about David. He's directed all of this. And there's this famine in the land, it's happened for three years, you know, and now he's the guy that went to God and said, what is up? What's going on? He's directing this, and he's committed to seeing it through. Why? Because David understands the consequences. Numbers 35, verse 33, put on the screen for you, it says, you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, And no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Listen, the idea is that blood from unpunished murders defiles a nation, and it defiles a people. And if you've got blood on your hands today, then the day is going to come when God demands your blood from you. And if the nation has blood on its hand, listen, the day's going to come when God requires the blood of the nation because they, because they got bloody hands. And I can't help but think about America. J. Vernon McGee said something in his commentary on, on 2 Samuel that, that I just, I, it's chilling. And I wrote it down, I, I wanted to share it with you. Here's what he says. He said, if there's one thing that 2 Samuel 21 reveals, it's the fact that God judges nations. And it makes no difference who those nations are. God judged Egypt, God judged Babylon, he judged Assyria, he judged Greece and Rome, and God will judge America. And he went on to say this, he said, and I am of the opinion that we are in the process of disillusion as a nation. And then he went on just to talk. I mean, we, uh, uh, the, what we're doing with abortion, what, how we're, you know, a nation consumed with sexual sin, how there is an a, a absence of leadership. He wrote this like over 20 years ago. And it's, everything he wrote is even more and more true, that there's this, this horrible absence of leadership and that there's this growing division within the nation. And, and according to J. Vernon McGee, he ties it in with this principle that we're learning in, in chapter 21 and with Numbers 35. Look, you got blood on your hands. I close with this, Second, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin." And I'll heal their land. Now listen, this is a promise for Israel. This this scripture, this this particular passage. It's a particular promise for Israel. Speaking about the nation of Israel. But can I tell you that the principle applies to our nation. The principle applies to your life. Listen, if we call ourselves Christians, we need to humble ourselves. David humbled himself. We need to pray. We need to seek the face of God. We need to be able to say, God, 
is just as David said, Lord, search me, know me, find if there be any wicked way in me. God, what's going on within in here that's affecting us, that's affecting your, your ability to, to work in me, to move through me, to, to bless through me, God? Help me to hear from heaven what you would have me to do.